This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to The Low Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. very well and very excited because this was a very hastily arranged podcast but I'm all for that. Yeah I mean Corona um, creates uh, I guess new opportunities so I'm, I'm pleased that I could come on and, and have a chat with you so um, um, it's a welcome respite from uh, from my normal uh, night in front of the Sopranos so I'm, 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 uh, I'm happy about that. Yeah, your manager Richie Wellens told me that was a that was a decent way of spending an hour when I spoke to him earlier. So I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's actually been an interesting time. Um, you know, like I think we've I've tried certainly to keep myself as busy as possible, and I'm almost like I think burnt out from from that process. Um, so um, I'm I'm looking forward to doing some I think more. Uh, relaxed fun things over the next few weeks because I, I, I don't think we're going to get to the end of it um, anytime soon so um, but it's weird you do find that you're like <laughs> scared of um, I guess scared of, uh, of of surrendering to nothing so you end up you know being triple busy just to make sure that you, you know you, you don't really take in what's going on so I don't know how you found that. 
Oh, absolutely the same. I've never been busier in my life. But on a serious note, because of course we are recording this during the pandemic, I hope you and your family are all well. Yeah, no, we're, I mean, um, I, I was saying to you before this that obviously my wife's pregnant. Um, so um, it's a bit of a a challenging time, I think, emotionally being separated from family and, mm. and going through this, this uh, for us, you know, the, our first child. So um, a few nerves and, and, and everything. But um, uh, I think in the main, we're, we're sort of lucky in comparison to many others uh, at the moment. So you just got to try and focus on the positives. But um, we're all healthy at the moment um, and, and, and moving forward. Absolutely. And let's disappear into a dream world of escapism that is football so what we do on this podcast is we start right at the beginning so who did you support when you were a child and who were your early football heroes um so forest was obviously my team um a huge part of my upbringing um my dad was a was from uh, newark which is a small town outside of uh, nottingham he had been a fan all his life. So it was a little bit of a shotgun wedding. Um, at the age of four, I remember going to, uh, I think it was the old baseball ground, they called it, uh, Derby County's Ooh. ground. Um, and I and, and I, well, I, I don't really remember it, but I just sort of, you know, have these flashbacks. And it was a Forest Derby game, um, which was obviously um, a pretty fierce rivalry. Um, yeah, that's where the sort of the love affair began. And, and I think it's obviously well documented, the, the history that sort of my family have had with the club. So, um you know, I was obsessed. I had forest bedsheets, uh, forest, uh, you know, teddy bears at the works. That sort of team that I was growing up with, well, I thought was quite iconic. I remember watching Forest in the Premier League for that one year that they, I think they were there and we got beat 8-1 by Man United at the city ground. But there were some of my heroes there, which were, you know, Pierre Van Hooydonk and, and uh, Chris Bart Williams, uh, for those of you who knew him, was like a very talented player. Um, Stuart Pearce. So there was, yeah, there was some talent at the city ground for sure and, and obviously players that I idolise Andy Reid I must mention as well uh, Jermaine Genus who I'm now you know friendly with through my time at QPR he was a childhood hero uh, Forest captain I think the youngest ever Forest captain so yeah uh, Forest through and through really yeah I used to uh, work at HMV Durham many many years ago when Andy Reid was playing for Sunderland and he used to come into the store quite a bit and he was a lovely guy yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Um, you know, from my memories of him as a kid, was a wonderful, a wonderful footballer as well. And somebody as a left-footed midfielder growing up, you know, he used to watch him put it on a sixpence. And you know, I think probably even himself would admit he wasn't sort of the stereotypical, you know, you know, athlete so to speak. Um, but um, he was uh, a hell of a talent and, and had a brilliant career. So what are your earliest memories of playing football and who did you play for before joining the academy system? Um, so I used to play at Hendon Sports Centre, which um, was in North London on like a Tuesday and Thursday night. Um, and I loved it. I think that was from the ages of about five to eight. It was just sort of, you know, kickabout, uh, quite professional kickabout, I think, in comparison to maybe some kickabouts. But um um, and then I played for a team called Princess Park, by, uh, um, uh, which was in North London as well. Um, and I started to develop a bit of a name on the Sunday League kid circuit, if, if anyone really does at that age, um, playing up front and, and scoring a lot of goals. And um, one of the one of the guys that I worked, well, that was sort of training me, um, had a friend who was a Chelsea scout and said to them, uh, 
you know, come have a look at this kid. Um, so they came to watch me at a few sessions and I got invited down to the Chelsea Academy for a trial um, and then got accepted, um, fortunately. And I was there from eight to 13 years of age where, to my dismay, I got released. Um, <laughs> so we won't mention that because I still hold a harbour ill feelings towards them. Um, no, I'm joking. Uh, but um, And then, you know, I went on trial at QPR. I think I have I had the longest ever trial known to man. I think it was a two-year trial. Uh, I think it was just pure persistence that kept me there because I think, uh, you know, they saw something in me, but, you know, for some reason wouldn't commit. And then uh, I, I think at sort of 15, I started to, to find my feet a little bit, um, managed to get sort of a one-year, whatever kind of, contract it was at the time it wasn't sort of obviously a monetary thing um and I was playing under 16s and I think it was the the last three months to the scholarships um uh, at the time you sort of get these um scholarship offers to go uh, full-time um and everyone was being told and I hadn't you know nobody told me so I thought this is pretty ominous um and uh I those last three months, I just started to really bring it together. And I remember there was one particular game where the under-18s manager was watching and I just, I played really well. Um, and after that, you know, managed to get sort of a, a scholarship offer um, to the under-18s at QPR, which was, which was great. Well, that was, a, that was a fantastic, concise answer, but I'm not going to let you get away with that. We've got loads <laughs> to cover on this side of things, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but good try. So you, yeah. you're a prolific goal scorer at junior level. I need to know, because I always ask this of the people that said they scored a lot of goals. What are we talking about? I'd be lying. Well, can we, can we seeing as though we are in Corona times, can I just make it up for poetic <laughs> license? Of course you can. I scored, I scored 100 in a year. It was unbelievable. People screaming my name. I, 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 the truth is, I have no idea. I just remember <laughs> scoring quite a lot. I think it was like some games I'd come home and I'd scored seven. You know, it's under under eight football. You know, uh, in North London, it wasn't highly competitive. So I think anybody with half a bit of talent could could get through that. Look, it's it's well documented that you were educated at Harrow and you did a great article with Stuart James, then of the Guardian, who was on this podcast. Uh, a few weeks ago because he played for Swindon at youth level. I would implore anyone listening to this to go and find that article by Googling it. It's very, very interesting indeed. We'll just drift into some of those subjects from time to time, but I don't really want to dwell on it. That's my choice, not yours, because it's out there. On the Harrow front, though, I've got to ask about the school team. What was the standard like? Yeah, well, first of all, big up Stu James as well. He's really one of the, well, I wouldn't say one of the few, actually. I, I, a lot of the journalists I really like, but he is a great guy. Um, yeah. And I really enjoyed uh, that process with him. Um, I think, yeah, I get asked the question a lot and I really don't mind it because it's, you know, you can't, you know, you can't hide who you are. It's it's part of my story and it's, it makes me unique. So um, Harrow, like, was a, a different world, to be honest, to, certainly to the football world. And I think it's, it's like, it's something that has been sort of part of my story all the way through, really. It's like, I was always slightly different at football and I was always slightly different at school because, um, you know, uh, I was sort of caught, you know, between two worlds. And, and I think that's something that I really learned to accept and, and enjoy. Um, I think when I was a bit younger, I was always trying to maybe fit in. But I think when you get a bit older and a bit more confident and self-assured, you realise that um, that it's good to, to be different and different is what makes the world go around. But I mean, Harrow itself was an incredible school, obviously, I think. 
you know, you just need to look at the league tables and stuff to know that academ- academically it's, you know, an amazing school to be at. You know, I was very fortunate to be educated there. But it was weird. It was like, I, you know, it was like Hogwarts on steroids, so to speak, you know, without the magic. Without the magic. Um, we used to do, you know, you know, we used to wear, you know, Sunday tails and bow ties and all of this stuff. And the tradition was, was sort of steeped in the school. Um, and our school team was, I think, pretty bang average, to be honest. Um, I played from about 14 played up to the you know upper sixth level um so like the final year so I was playing I think that really helped me um at the time because you know technically I was obviously good enough but physically um that had always always and probably still is a question mark around me and yeah it was a great great experience and it you know it really is part of who I am and and you know Harrow I will say one thing we're incredibly supportive of, of my football journey at 16 you know um I had the opportunity to go full-time with, with QPR and sort of my dad put the brakes on that and said no 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 I'm not you know <laughs> I'm invested in your education for you to just you know take a punt being a professional footballer when the odds are one in one in ten thousand he said you've got to make it work and, and for the next two years, I sort of was a part-time footballer, part-time student. And they really supported me through that process. And, and so did QPR, to be fair. Quite right, too. Now, how have you found the the friendly rivalry that you've you've endured, without even requesting it, from Ivo Gray and Bean Eaton and you, Harrow? He seems to mention it a lot. He even mentions it on BBC Fighting Talk from time to time. <laughs> I think he needs to get a life, Ivo. I think we've... We've uh, we've moved on from from uh, from uh, tough banter. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I, I I'm not just saying this. I don't, you know, I love the school. Actually, my little brother goes to Harrow now, um, and but I don't really have much to do with that part sure. of my life as much. It's moved on. I'm, you know, I'm obviously uh, you know grateful for that experience, but I don't really. I'm not one of these guys who you know go back to the you know go you know the. the the you alumni know, the, some, meetings. The alumni meeting, exactly. Some, <laughs> you know, I think sometimes as the, the Times caricature of a of a conservative or whatever, it's like I don't really spend my time, you know, in my old school uniform, you know, like thinking about <laughs> thinking about yonder days. So I'm sort of trying to live in the present, but Ivo, Ivo can stay there if he wants. <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned Chelsea there. What, what were your experiences like beyond being bitter, beyond belief that they let you go? inconsolable really I think uh yeah it was amazing to be honest it was an introduction into football you know I love I, you know, I love football you know today it's my passion and I and I, you know that, I had that childish enthusiasm for for it then but you come into this kind of elite situation um and we were kind of pre-Abramovich era I would say that was starting to sort of evolve as I went through the age ranks was probably the reason why I got released once he got involved and it really went up a level um but yeah it was an amazing start you know you had some great coaches we had sort of the likes of you know Eddie Newton and we I remember having having a young under nines coach called Ozzy who was like the most enthusiastic man ever um, in a great way and you know just really like made you enjoy your football but you know I think technically that was a big part of my grounding is you know in the in that facility from the age of eight to 13 it just took a while for my body to catch up and it kind of still is really yeah did anyone from your age group make it in the game other than yourself I believe I can say this with authority but again it might go down as poetic license I think we were the first ever team to win a European trophy like an academy trophy mm-hmm. for the academy I think now they're like very well decorated and won FA Youth Cups and all of that stuff and I'm sure win tournaments all the time but we went to, I remember going to Holland and we had Rowan Ince, who was actually an ex-Swindon player. Um, Josh McEachran, um, who went on 
obviously he's playing the Chelsea first team and, and had a you know a lot of media attention around him. George Savile, who's at uh, Middlesbrough, I think. And um, yeah, we had a, quite a few boys that have gone on to kind of have either careers or semi-pro careers in the game. Um, but no one, I would say, who's like, you know, playing Premier League football right now. But, you know, still a decent, a decent outfit. I know they are known to haul players now, but you can say what you like about Chelsea. A fair few do make it. Yeah, I think the system works. You know, um, it makes sense to me. You know, you, you get the best players and the best facilities. Law of averages state that a lot of them are going to be good enough, at, you know, if they're in that centre of excellence, so to speak, um, for such a long period of time to at least have a career in the game. And there's a value in all of these players, right? You see it. They sell these players to, you know, championship or, you know, European leagues for sometimes £10 million. And I'm sure that, you know, probably covers the cost for a year or whatever. So it, it does make sense. You know, I do think it is good to see now with Frank Lampard in charge, obviously, at Chelsea, the, the you know, the risk being taken on the younger players and a bit of time invested in them. Because I think that is one thing that young players do need is, is obviously you know a chance, but then it's, it's time to adapt and and to you know nobody's going to be a superstar overnight unless you're a freak like Wayne Rooney, you know. So you do need that opportunity and you do need the time to sort of develop in that setting and get used to it. Still linked, how long Oh, slipped by Hazard. Well, Phillips the pass wasn't that good enough. Summerby, good strike. So next up, as you as you mentioned previously, was QPR. And joking aside, was your exit from Chelsea a surprise when they let you go? Or was it was it expected? I vividly remember crying all night and feeling like I'd lost my identity. Uh, it sounds dramatic, but at that stage, that was all I knew. And it was like I played for Chelsea, and I was like the cool kid around you know my, you know my area within you know my family, and it was like you know a sense of worth and belonging. And I was like I was distraught to be honest. So. I don't think I expected it. I think you know either I was incredibly naive or my parents did a great job of, of sheltering me from the facts. But I don't know. I just you know I think it was my you know my parents, my dad in particular, who's obviously a big figure in my life, um, who just sort of dusted me down. And I got Chelsea. I think helped organise a, a bit of training for me at QPR. I think they were quite good at that sort of process. And then I went on a Tuesday and Thursday night to a Q, to QPR training, which ironically was the old. Chelsea first team training ground at Harlington and obviously still is there, there the QPR first team uh, training ground and as I said I trained for a couple of years just on a Tuesday and Thursday night without really any formality I was sometimes playing at weekends but not always and I didn't really know where it was going to be honest but I just loved it and, and was sticking at it and, and obviously had a, a degree of talent which meant that I could sort of hang in there yeah it, that is a very long time what, what were they what were they unsure of <laughs> I don't know. I don't, honestly, Steve Gallen, who was my manager at the time, who actually rose the ranks and ended up being assistant assistant manager at QPR, and you know was a big mentor of mine. He was always like such a great guy and so you know so fun and, and, and great to be around and very honest. So I don't think it, you know I don't think it was them trying to like pull me along, but I just think they thought unless there's a reason for me, I wasn't pushing to be like signed officially. I think I was sort of busy at school obviously but like still getting the value of great training with QPR for a couple of nights a week and I think it probably was a mutually beneficial agreement and I think maybe I wasn't doing enough for them to be like we have to get him and maybe 
I wasn't, you know, signaling to, you know, frustration with what was going on. So I think it was quite, we were quite happy with the situation. And then I think once I started to, to play in the games at the weekends, they knew that they, they might have a player on their hands. How did the QPR you've set up differ to the Chelsea one? I think at the time it was like the fine, the resource was, was, was vast. And, and, and obviously I think still is today, but um, that was pre sort of Tony Fernandez coming in with, you know, the Mittals, etc. So it was, it was a centre of excellence at the time. So QPR was an academy. Uh, I don't even know if centre of excellences exist anymore, but um, it was a centre of excellence. Um, so there was just, you know, a difference in the, the facilities. We all trained on this Astro turf, uh, which was like packed out with the age groups over a, a sort of a sandy Astro turf and then like a 4, 3G or whatever it was. Um, and then we used to get like to games. Once I started playing games, it was, very much like 20 in a minibus type uh, existence where I think, you know, at Chelsea, it was, it was still, you know, it was still roll your sleeves up. It wasn't, I don't think similar to maybe some of Dion's experiences, which I've obviously heard being close with him and, and some of the other Chelsea boys that I've been across who are a bit younger than me. It was still like, you know, I think, you know, normal-ish, but it was definitely a difference in resource and, and facility. Who were your contemporaries at QPR? Any names? Uh, Max Emer, who yeah, plays for Agility, he's a captain of Agility. Yeah, yeah, he's a year older than uh, he was a year older than me. Uh, we had actually a guy who came on trial in the summer who played for Bromley, who was a year younger than me, called Frankie Sutherland. Yeah. Um, there's actually a, still a mate of mine, a guy called Bradley Simmons, who's gone on to be a, a really quite a famous PT on Instagram for anybody doing their home workouts at the moment. He's uh, he was in my youth team, but had some knee injuries, and then. There was a Raheem Sterling. <laughs> Forgot about that one. Uh, yeah. Well, like Raheem was quite a few years younger than me, but he was at the time playing up with us quite a lot. I think he was like 14 and playing in the under 18s or 13 and just just unbelievable talent. Raheem comes up quite a bit. I spoke to Paul Mullin and spoiler alert, because that episode hasn't come out yet, but he also has Raheem Sterling in his in his teammates, obviously from Liverpool, but he seems to get around with the uh, with the Swindon lot from time to time. I think, honestly, like, you know, you don't, re- you don't realise how young he still is and how what he's done already. Yeah. You know, there was obviously all of this terrible um, press around him and unfair criticism when, you know, he's probably one of our brightest talents. But, you know, from the age of 13, like, he was special, really special. The QPR, <laughs> QPR manager, youth managers at the time literally were, like, rolling out the red carpet for him because I think they all knew that they had somebody that they needed to protect and, and who was going to be some, something special. And then he's obviously gone on to prove that. But he was a, he was a great kid and, and obviously incredible talent. Well, this is this is a podcast for Michael Doughty, so we'll go back to yourself <laughs> now. You made your QPR debut under Neil Warnock, I think, a couple of minutes in the FA Cup about 10 years ago. When <laughs> what, what do you remember about that day? Oh, God, I literally remember that day as if it was yesterday. I think <laughs> just because, obviously, it was an amazing personal achievement. You know, it's every kid's dream to play, their, to make their professional debut. But for also the context of the game. So we were losing, I think, a couple, 2-0 down or something. And to be fair to the, to the gaffer at the time, he was, I think, quite nice and chucked me in. I think uh, and Michael Harriman, who's playing for Wickham, potentially it was him, I can't remember exactly, but chucked us on for the last couple of minutes. And in the time that I was on the pitch, Jamie Mackey broke his leg in a challenge with El, El Hadjouf, who's obviously got a bit of a villainous uh, reputation in the game. He's like the pantomime villain, isn't he? And 
I can't remember if this was ever corroborated. So for, for any legal boffins out there, this is hearsay. <laughs> this isn't, don't hold me to this. El Hadju spat on him, like basically insinuating that he had dived. And Jamie was like writhing around in agony on the pain and actually had broken his leg. And then it just kicked off completely. I'm like 17, 18, like don't know where to stand, let alone what to do in a fight on a football pitch. And as you can imagine, the only fights I had seen at Harrow were sort of like, you know, <laughs> fisty cuffs, you know, in between tiddlywinks. Um, and so it was like a real baptism of fire. We went into the, you know, it went or sprawled over after the game into the tunnel. You know, you had real men at the time, like Sean Derry, who's like, you know, a good friend of mine now, but a real hard man of football. Clint Hill, you know, uh, I think it was Heider Helgerson, you know, you know, proper, proper men. Uh, and they were like sort of like pinning up El Hadjoub and everything, everything kicked off. And I remember sat on the coach after the game as well, you know, buzzing with myself. We'd lost 2-0, but, you know, got on for three minutes, you know, checking my phone and, you know, getting all these messages. And um, and I remember El Hadjoub pulling out of, players entrance and we were parked up in the bus and five of the boys obviously we found out that Jamie had broken his leg ran out of the bus and went to confront him as he's driving off because he's signing autographs and he's got this I remember it so clearly had this like Mercedes one of those cars where the, where defies aerodynamics and the, <laughs> and the and the you know the doors go upwards and you've got to be like you know you, you it's like you're almost going into a submarine to get into it and they ran over and literally, like one of them, I think, smashed his window with, you know, it was really like, you know, really aggressive sort of obviously protecting their teammate because, you know, it was, you know, again, hearsay, but El Hadjouf, whatever he did wasn't, wasn't, wasn't very respectful of, of somebody who'd been hurt. And I just remember watching like eyes completely wide open thinking, you know, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> This is unbelievable. Sign me up if this is football. But isn't isn't that the case even for football fans? That sometimes like a bit of a melee is is more exciting than a goal, isn't it? To be honest, it's that sort of I guess animal instinct that we have. Yeah, listen now. To be honest, I'm I'm not the one to run over and, and beat my chest. It's just I want I I want to play. I'm not at all subscribing to that. I you know I'm I, yeah, I'm a purist and just want to crack on with the football, but. Um, uh, it is obviously, it was at the time exciting and, and, and I think it was more the whole event of the day and then this whole, you know, you know, as a young player coming into a first team dressing room, you know, you're completely overwhelmed. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, you've got to, you know, you've, you've got to grow up very quickly. There's no, there's no time because if you're being trusted by a manager, you know, you've got to start to prove yourself. It's, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or or how much talent you have or potential. It's once you start playing professional men's football, you have people's jobs and livelihoods in, in, in your sort of control and you need to be trusted. And I think that whole day really summed up potentially how far away I was from being ready to really compete for a place in the first team, but also an amazing experience. When, when I was younger, because I'm a bit older than you, the, the, the footballers that were coming through at the time, you know, the players that had played throughout the 80s and things like that, when when a young guy was coming in the 90s, they were sort of treated quite differently, like a rookie and so forth. How I mean, you were playing uh, for a manager who was a veteran in Neil Warnock and players like Clint Hill, as you mentioned, and Sean Derry. How did they look after you? Did they say you're just one of the guys or did they, did they carry you through the process? They were, uh, you know, people like Sean Derry, like you mentioned, brilliant like amazing people but I wouldn't say they it wasn't you know an easy sort of process there was definitely 
you know, I, it wasn't kiss and cuddle type therapy. No. It was more like mercilessly take the piss out of you, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, but then with a kindness and a, and a willingness to, as long as you showed respect and obviously, uh, you know, that you were hungry and, and hardworking that, that you'd, that, that they sort of let you in. And I think, you know, I always had a good way of taking the banter and giving it in a respectful way, which was kind of like, you know, made a few of them laugh and, and without being disrespectful, just got, got my feet on the ground really. Um, and I think a young player needs to obviously do that. You know, you can't, you know, you're walking into the, you know, the, the jungles, uh, sorry, the, yeah, yeah, really you're walking into sort of the lion's den or whatever the saying is. And, uh, you know, you've got to be respectful of the people that have earned their stripes, but you're there to take people's places. You're there to, to learn, but then essentially evolve. That's sort of natural selection. And, you know, they probably know that makes them work harder. And, and, and I think ultimately I've got to the stage of my career and, and, and I think I've been there for a while where you just want the best players around you. You know, I want the best midfielder to play with me when I play on, you know, whoever the manager picks on a Saturday. And I think players are like that, certainly ones who are comfortable in their own skin because we want to win. And I think as a young player, you've got to show that because, you know, it doesn't matter how nice you are or how well you get along with people. If on a Saturday you're not ready or you let the team down, then people are people are short-tempered. As a side, what's your initiation song? Uh, I've always gone with Don McLean, American Pie. Okay, not uh, the long version, I hope. No, it was the long version. And I realised this was a massive mistake, a massive, <laughs> massive mistake. And I, I've only realised this about eight years into my career. And then that recently, I think when I re-signed at Swindon again, I did Enrique Iglesias, uh, Hero, Hero. Which went, which was a lot easier because it got to the chorus a lot quicker. So, if anybody listening who's got any initiation, wants any initiation tips, do not do American Pie because it takes two minutes to get to the to the chorus, <laughs> and there's no easy entry. You can't start like a minute in. It doesn't work. You've got to go from uh, right at the beginning. And I only realised how bad of choice that was recently when I kind of had this weird out-of-body experience where I was sort of like listening to myself drone on in front of these players and I thought, I've got to stop this, I've got to change it up. <laughs> right, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about your loans in a minute, moment, but you spend a lot of your time out on loan, um, but you play 14 times for QPR <sighs> over several seasons, including three in the Premier League. What were your highlights of your time uh, as a QPR player? Amazing, amazing time. I was there for... God, like I think ten years from from youth level, but also like five to six years as a professional. And it was weird because fourteen games doesn't seem a lot, but I was so involved for a long time. It was a strange feeling. I remember Mark Hughes when I I, I, I signed professional under Neil Warnock, and then we had I think this evolution where Neil took us to the Premier League. Then you know all of this money got involved with the club, and then suddenly Mark Hughes, who at the time you know also you know still is a very you know, well-respected and, and big manager in the game, takes over. We sign Jason Park, Julio Cesar, World Cup winners, Champions League winners. You know, we've got, you know, wage bills now higher than Borussia Dortmund, from what I remember. And the club is just like, you know, this whole different space. But I think part of that process was I sort of got melted along with it because the club was sort of trying to say to fans as well that we still care about you. So they were encouraged to keep a few of us around it. And, and at the time, I was starting to really play well when I was 19, uh, 18, 19. And I was really around the first team in our prep. Like we were doing a preparation for a Premier League season. And I went on a pre-season tour with them to Malaysia, you know, played in front of 90,000 there. 
and played actually really well. Um, and yeah, Mark Hughes really liked me. They offered me, I think, a four-year contract, um, which was, you know, a, a real signal of intent. Um, I was sort of travelling with the first team squad um, regularly in that first sort of few months and then sort of on the bench for a few games in the Premier League. And I was like, this is unbelievable. So I, I, that, that happened so that happened so many times for me where I would like get close, maybe even make a few appearances, play in the cup, you know, like you said, play in the Premier League, play in the championship eventually, but never really felt like I had broken in or settled. Um, not, you know, there was a few moments where I thought, yeah, this is me now. I'm really going to kick on. And there was just so many players, so much in front of me. Maybe, you know, obviously I've got to take responsibility myself. Maybe I didn't take my opportunities as much as I should have when they came. But it was just a club that was going through such transition. And I think the intention was good in, in terms of bringing through young players. But the practicality of it, when you've got a manager trying to manage 30 professionals all on millions of pounds a year, was really hard. And I just never really got that kick that I needed, that moment that I think a young player needs to really cement themselves. Yeah, I spoke to Jamie Sendles White about this era because he was around the uh, the setup at this time. And I asked the question, even though it was great time for QPR in a way, but for a young footballer, that sort of yo-yo transition from Premier League to Championship, it, it doesn't really benefit young players at that stage, does it? it? You want like five, you want to play for a Brentford who are in the Championship every year. And that means probably opportunities will, will come forward more regularly. Yeah, I think I think it's market forces, right? I think ultimately, if a club has a huge budget, they're going to go and get the best players that they possibly can, and therefore there's more players in your way, and you need opportunity, right? Like, you know, I, I might have been better than some of them, but I I might have not, but I could have been, if that makes sense, with the right pathway. Um, you sometimes you're not better, but you shut you you take ten games to you know start to really show yourself and improve. I think I never really just got that run of games that I potentially needed, um, you know. And you know, I, I don't like, talk, I hate people. Honestly, you talk about the past and think, you know, could have been, should have been, whatever. But there were a number of key moments where I just think, if that had changed, like I remember under Chris Ramsey, where I was really, really like, in, like a part of the first team squad in the Premier League. You know, every week tra- traveling on the bench, coming on, like you mentioned, in a, in a few games. We played Sunderland away um, and it was, we were 1-0 up um, and it was like 60 minutes and he brought me on and played right midfield and he said, do a job on Van Arnholt because he's getting too much to have. And Van, you know, Van, I'm coming on at right midfield and I'm like a, you know, an immobile centre midfielder at best and I played really well and I had a bit of a hand in the second goal and, you know, tracked him back and we won 2-0 and he started, you know, for him to have the trust in me at that moment was a massive boost for me and obviously, the fact that the debut went well was great. And then following game, I came on against somebody. I think it might be Leicester or Everton or something. Did well again. And I was starting to build up my credit here. And I was training really. I remember that time so well. I was, I was, really, I was our best trainer. I was training really well. And this was in the Premier League, I, you know, I felt. Anyway, I was really firing. And we played Villa away on a Tuesday night. Unbelievable. I was just like, this is Premier League all over this is what I've lived for um you know packed house Villa Park Tuesday night and I remember coming at half time with two uh one nil down and he says to me keep warm make sure you're warm so I'm thinking bloody hell like Adam like I'd had 30 minutes 20 minutes and you know he's saying to me get ready about 50 because Sandro who who was sort of in always sort of 
off the kind of at QPR was played by injuries who, and he was quite unfit at the time and they sort of chucked him in and knew he was going to blow up and he said you, you know you're coming on for Sandro soon to so get ready so I remember at 55 minutes stood on the touchline legs bloody shaking like <laughs> like thinking bloody hell like and then you know obviously when you get on the pitch you settle and we went honestly truth we went 3-1 up within about 15 minutes 20 minutes I, Charlie Austin scored Two. And I remember celebrating in the corner so vividly with the QPR fans, thinking this, yeah, this is it. This is unbelievable. Like I've come on, you know, I'm playing well. I, you know, I sort of belong here a little bit. And then Benteke scored three two. Ten minutes to go, he whip, he whips a thirty yard free kick into the top corner. Three three. Uh, not the worst result in the world, but with two minutes to go, I went into a block tackle with Joe Cole, and I, you know. I you know, went in for it and I'd been carrying an ankle injury, which I was sort of struggling through training with and, and I broke my foot and, uh, and it'd been broken for a few weeks. I'd broken my foot and I was just like, I left the, left the stadium on crutches. I just thought, oh, well, how's my luck really? Um, but I came back from it a little bit and but just never really, never really got that momentum or the string of games together that you needed the young player to really solidify yourself. Loads of managers during your time at QPR, Warnock twice, as you said, Mark Hughes, Harry Redknapp, Chris Ramsey, ex-Swindon, of course, Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank and Ian Holloway. Which one did you learn the most from? Oh, uh, I think, I, you know, you definitely learn everything from each manager. I think, uh, I think Chris Ramsey really invested in me. You know, it was a lot of tough love, but, you know, he gave me my Premier League debut. That season we got relegated and he stayed in the job. And he, start, he started to play me in the championship and, you know, I was starting in the championship under him and playing well. And I think for him, he first of all made me lose a lot of weight, which at the, at the time I didn't think I needed to do, but I definitely needed to do. He really pushed me, but gave me a chance and really said, you know, I think as a young player, you need somebody to just say, you know what, like, you've got something here. I'm going to, I'm going to put a bit of, I'm risking myself to give you an opportunity here. And you, and I think, at the time, you maybe take it a little bit for granted, but when you see what managers go through, and when I see, like, obviously, you know, what Richie and the other managers that I've worked under go through and the stress, you know, you think, wow, that was that was really good of him to, to trust me under that pressure. Here's a question for you: Can you name what? in order your loan clubs? Bloody hell! Uh, yes, probably. Go. Maybe not. Okay, one first one, first one. Uh, Crawley, all the owner. Oh, no. oh Woking, Woking, correct. And then Crawley, Crawley. yep. Yeah. All the shot, yep. Yeah. Stevenage, uh, Scotland. Oh, Saint Johnston, yep. Yeah. Stevenage, yep. Yeah. Uh, Swindon. Ooh. No. After Gillingham, Gillingham. Gillingham. <laughs> yeah, I went for two months to Gillingham and I got recalled off of that one. Actually, I got recalled from Gillingham and Swindon. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I saw you play for Stevenage and Gillingham. I think, if I if I if I recall rightly, definitely against Swindon for Stevenage in the Johnstons paint or whatever it was called back then. Oh yeah, penalty shootout. Um, that's a lot of loan spells. It's kind of common for the modern footballer to to have these sort of experiences when they play for especially like Premier League or higher championship clubs. How beneficial would those moves for you? Because there's a lot of travelling in that one. I think from a personal perspective it was it was a great lesson, like a great grounding as a as a human being to sort of know how to look after yourself and you know, certainly you know, I, I to be fair, like there's this sort of 
feeling I think there's a, a misnomer around about like you know people from sort of obviously privileged backgrounds which I certainly uh, you know have been from that they don't you know they, they, they don't know how to like you know tie their own shoelaces but actually Harrow as an education was incredibly disciplined like the most disciplined place you know like similar to a football environment um so I wasn't in need of I think discipline but I needed to like you know you know I needed to learn about myself and how to you know, be away from home. And, and that was a great experience. I think if I had my time again, I would have been a bit more selective, you know, not, not, not in terms of the clubs, the clubs gave me an opportunity, but you know, what I look back and I think I didn't need eight loans. I could have, you know, gone to the right place at the right time for me with the right manager. But I literally was just like to my agents, uh, well, my dad was my agent at the time. And then, and then to my agent after, after that, I was just like, I want to play. You know, if I'm not playing here, I've got to play. You know, I'm not playing like in the reserves or sitting, you know, maybe for the chance that we have five or 10 injuries. And I just didn't, I, I was so impetuous that I just jumped at any opportunity. Somebody came and watched me in a reserve game. I played well. They wanted to take me on loan. I'm there. And I think so at the time, you know, I learned a lot from them. But was it the best thing for my career? Probably not. Did I manage to sort of, fight through it anyway yes so you know i think everything happens for a reason but if i had my time again i would have probably held on and picked a bit more selectively and then you know and also maybe waited a few a bit of time because you know i look at the cute like it, it was a little bit beyond this era of my era but i look at the qpr team now and it's filled with youngsters that i was playing with you know and I, you know no disrespect to them i they're good really good players but i absolutely know i could play in that team now and um i just think uh, I just think, yeah, it's that's a that's a good lesson for any young player, you know, if anyone's listening. It's just definitely be eager to play, but make sure the decision is right for you. Make sure the club is right for you, you know. Make sure, and if you, you know, that's if you've got options, and 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 make sure that the uh, that that you that you don't rush things. You're not just too impetuous. Mm. We'd be here all night if we talked about each of your loan spells. So we're going to jump all the way to Swindon <laughs> right, don't, now. Don't rub it. Don't rub it in. <laughs> Hi, this is Jan Fjortoft and welcome. And I'm on Loath Strangers. But it's so hard for Norwegian. Love Strangers. Well, anyway, listening is a great, great opportunity to hear some great, great stories. So you joined Swindon halfway through the 2015-16 campaign. So that's a, that's a bit of a weird one generally for Swindon fans because it's the year after Wembley and it just feels like we never get going. What do you remember about joining Swindon that first time? The story is really interesting. Well, I think well, I think it's interesting, a bit unique. It's Bobby Zamora, who's actually one of my really close friends to this day and was at my wedding in the summer. He, he did me a favour because like you said, I had all these loan moves where... Some of them have gone well, some of them not so well. And I was a little bit, you know, kicking my heels at QPR and again, just needed a club that suited me. And I, you know, I wasn't waiting for QPR to give me that opportunity, you know. And he said, listen, my mates, I was at this point training with the first team day in, day out. And he's just like, my mate is the Swindon manager and that's Luke Williams. And they were in the Bristol Rovers or the Norwich, I think Bristol Rovers youth right, team yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, Bristol Rovers youth team together. And he said, let me give him a call. And he, he trusts my opinion. And Bobby went out of his way, uh, bless him, to basically just get say, listen, you've got to take this boy. He's got quite a lot of talent and he's starting to really show in training and he just needs to play. He needs a platform. And that's where I met Luke, who was just, 
unbelievable for me, just unbelievable. Um, just an incredible coach, incredible person, and what I needed at that time. And, and it started really my love affair with Swindon. And, you know, I think, I, you know, I said, I, I spoke maybe with a little bit of regret over certain decisions, but, you know, that decision to come to Swindon was definitely the one that was, was a real changer for me. I found a home. I really connected with the club. I really connected with a manager who like invested so much in me, was a brilliant person and sort of restored some of my faith in football people. Um, and, you know, just really enjoyed the football, the style of play, the quality of the county ground pitch. You just like everything. Just really, really loved it and loved playing for him. Luke Williams has a fantastic reputation. He had a great reputation before he took the Swindon job. What made him so popular with the players? It was just his, it was just his, you know, I think honestly, it's tough for managers to be like this, I get, because they have to take, you know, big decisions. But I think you look at, you know, the peps and the clocks, and you, you know, you know, and I, I do feel this about Richie now. Um, I think it took, it's, it's taken me a little bit longer to get to this place, but, you know, I do really feel like this about, about the squad and, and, and Richie and his, and his sort of team of staff now, um, like I did with Luke. It's just this like trust that you have that they, you know, and, and just the, and with Luke, it was just this manner he had that was, just made you feel like re- invincible, made you feel so good about yourself, but not, you didn't take it, well, I didn't take it for granted. You weren't like, I'm brilliant and ignorant. You were like, I need to work, I need to work, but I can do this, I can do this. And he just had an incredible, you know, he's just an incredible person, I think, just a kind-hearted person who wants people to do well, who really knows football, really knows player development and coaching and, um, you know, just, gave players a lot of confidence. And I still think he will be a phenomenal manager when he gets that opportunity. I think with Swindon, he did a great job in difficult circumstances because, you know, it, you know, like you said, the club had gone to the, you know, the final and lost and it's always hard to swallow that. And, you know, I think for Luke, um, he had to transition from an assistant to a manager, which is never easy because an assistant builds up a different relationship than a manager. And, but just Luke is, was just a, a, a great person to me and always honest. And, it, you know, sometimes he, I didn't play well and he said, Doubt, I didn't think you're great. This is what you need to work on, you know. Um, and he did it in a way which I think at the time I needed. I needed somebody just to like put my arm around me because I'd had these difficult learning experiences and I was probably a bit down on myself and a bit lost. Um, you know, I obviously lost my dad as well a few years before that. And I just was a bit sort of disillusioned with football a little bit. And he just gave me that confidence and that sort of love, I think, that I needed at that time. Which is why you came back shortly afterwards the following season, <laughs> straight away. And again, starts all right with you. But this is, in your in your second loan spell, you do get injured, don't you? I think I had appendicitis um, yeah. in the second spell. Um, I, had a, I, I started the season on fire. I was like five goals in seven games. We were doing well. I was playing really well. Um, and then I got, I just started to get these stomach issues. Um, and it turned out that this was, I was having all of this acid because of a, a really bad appendicitis, which was the appendix was stuck in my bowel. And I had to have like a two hour appendix operation, which usually takes 20 minutes. And then I, you know, I recovered, you know, and then because I wanted to play and just get out there within a, a week after three months on the sideline, I was, I came on at half time against Scunthorpe away within a week. And, and I think, when I I've done that quite a bit in my Swindon career, which probably fans don't know about. I remember under Phil Brown, 
I played with an infected foot, which I nearly lost. Um, I ended up being out for a longer time because I tried to rush it. And I went through the spell of get, of not preparing properly for matches and coming back because I felt like I wanted to contribute. And then I came back and I started to play well. And I think in that window, I got recalled by QPR. Was that right? Yeah, I think that was because Ian Holloway did some punditry when he took over. I swear he was there at a game and he said Charlton. something. Yeah, it was yeah. Charlton, yeah, there we go, yeah. yeah. And then you got recalled as a result of that, yeah. Yeah, we won 3-0 and I, got, I actually got MOM, I think. So, And I played really well. I remember him afterwards sort of saying, you know, um, sort of be ready, um, so to speak. Um, and I knew that was like November, December time. Um, so it was a weird feeling that because I didn't really want to go back. It, obviously, you have the chance playing in the champ, uh, you know, fresh start at QPR. But, you know, I think I, I had eight or nine goals by that stage and missed two year, two months of the two months of the season with appendicitis. And I was like, you know, I knew that if I remained at Swindon for a prolonged period of time, I would... I would probably have got a move anyway to the champ in the way that I was feeling. I just felt so confident under Luke and, 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 and what I was doing. What do you think went wrong for Luke Williams at Swindon in that, in that season? I don't, I don't really know. I think, you know. I think it was hard because I think Luke was being expected potentially to deliver the same results that he did without the same calibre of players. I think maybe is without being disrespectful to that team was fair. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Luke had managed to find these incredible players and work with them from Tottenham and Liverpool and, 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 but they had already a good grounding and were good players. Right. And, and Luke was working with them and coaching them. And I think it was hard to do that without the same caliber or at least the same foundation of player. And I think it was just potentially, you know, not the same recruitment. And sometimes that happens at clubs. It's no, nobody's fault. You just think you've got players that, that are good and, and, they're just not quite ready or they're not just at that level or they need a lot more time. And I think, um, and I think that's probably where, what the issue, what the issue was, you know, you can have the best coach in the world, but if you don't have good players and you don't have good players, that's just, that's just, that's just the nature of the beast. Trying to turn his man. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC official supporters club. So at the end of that season, we, we, we sort of hoped that we would see Michael Doughty again because all the, uh, I guess, all the sound bites were that you had a good time at Swindon. Swindon were a big fan of you, even without Luke Williams. But Peterborough United came in for you and you joined them playing in all competitions over 40 times, but it, it didn't really work out for you there. What happened at Peterborough? Yeah, I think for Peter, I, I, by this stage, I think just to fill in the blanks, I'd gone back to QPR. I'd played under Ian Holloway in the championship and then pretty much from March onwards, just got frozen out. You know, they had rec- bear in mind, they had recalled me from a loan um, where I was doing well to play. And I did play and I thought I did well. And, just the manager just from March on was just wasn't having me anymore. You know, that sometimes happens. And I was kicking my heels to then into the end of the season. So angry. I think I had a lot of anger in general, just as a person, a lot of, a lot of issues maybe I didn't deal with um, and frustration. And I went, I was just desperate to leave in the summer. I wanted to play obviously at the level that I thought I could play at, which, you know, ideally would have been championship, but 
you know, realistically, I hadn't proven myself fully at that level. So I wanted to go to the next best thing, which was a progressive League One team that I thought could get promoted so I could play in the championship and, and, and play at the best level that I could. And, you know, I probably at the time, again, in hindsight's a beautiful thing, but, you know, should have probably signed with Swindon at that time and just tried to get them back up to League One. And, and because I felt, you know, I, I knew that that place was a good place for me and, you know, I could make it work. Um, but I went to Peterborough and, you know, I played, I played okay. I didn't have a great, if I'm being honest, I didn't have a brilliant year. I had been brought in as an attacking midfielder, which I'd sort of done well at Swindon, very sort of productive in terms of statistics. Um, and, I, and I started playing in a two, like a, a holding midfield role, which was fine. Me and Granty actually played together. And it was a great, it was a great uh, marriage. Um, but I just wasn't playing the same position that I would have been brought in for. And I think, you know, Peterborough and the chairman there, you know, a great club and, and he does a great job, but, you know, very focused on statistics. And I felt this pressure to be sort of producing stats when actually my role in the team was much more of a function of the team rather than a function of myself and there was I think because I was a decent earner there you know come from QPR was kind of a, a big investment for them they were thinking why is he why is he only got one goal and it's Christmas but we were playing 3-5-2 everyone in the team apart from the three centre-halves and Granty was a, an attacker well we were in the you know we were top of the league by October and I think in the top six by Christmas and I was just I was so focused that year I remember it I was so almost energetically so sort of angry almost with everything that had gone on I'd be like we need to get to the champ I need to get to the champ like I don't care how it happens I don't care if I'm playing in a different position or whatever I just need to get to the champ and I sort of was playing with a lot I think a lot of tension and stress and, and wasn't probably playing to my best that I could so I've heard this lovely little uh, romance between you and Swindon Town which is fantastic I love it so what on earth happened with this Oxford United trial <laughs> <laughs> it was it wasn't a trial let's let me clear up that uh fake news Break um, my heart, man. seeing you in yeah. that shit <laughs> well that, hopefully the ending will make you feel good um, because it is a true story sean derry who i mentioned before who's a, been a great guy to me I, I left peterborough that year and as you said played 45 games in league one and we just missed out on the playoffs so you know, I felt like I was, you know, pretty established and I had quite a bit of interest. I went to meet Nathan Jones at Luton, who was incredibly impressive and was close to signing there. Uh, you know, was was waiting on Jack Marriott to leave Peter to Derby, ironically, and they were just, you know, waiting to offer me a contract offer. So in that time before I was going to sign at Luton, I went um, short. Sure, I I said like it was this was by the time it's like mid July and. I don't know if you've spoken to anyone on here, but free agency you think is a brilliant thing, but it's it's really not. It's it's um it's it can be a bit scary, and although you think you've had a good year and you played fifty games and you're going to walk into a new deal, until something gets signed, you're you're sort of you're wait hanging around waiting for the phone to ring, and it was sort of mid July, and I hadn't done a formal preseason. I'm still training on my own, and he called me up and said, you know, do you want to come and have a bit of training and do you fancy a game? And I, and I was like, yeah, why not? I need a bit of match fitness. So I, I didn't go really with a view to signing, but I went and played in this game and, and played really well. Um, and they were sort of, you know, I think it went from a bit of a training thing to helping a friend out to like, yeah, we, you know, we like you, you know, would you consider signing here? And I was holding off, I think for Luton, Luton was the optimal sort of place because I just, they were really, Seemed like a great club. Nathan Jones was 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 really a well-regarded manager, and seemed like in the ilk of a Luke Williams who was going to develop me and work with me and and and, and etc. 
And then I got a text from Lee Power to be like, you know, Doubts, I see you haven't signed anywhere. You know, we still would love to have you here. Um, you know, what do you think? And, and I, at the time, I hadn't really considered it because, you know, I was still pursuing this dream of the championship. And I thought, you know, what? What am I gonna, you know, what am I gonna do? Uh, you know, I can't. You know, Swindon are in League Two. As much as I love it there, they're in League Two, and I don't think I'm a League Two footballer, which might have been arrogant or completely naive. But I just sort of was still had these aspirations to get back to the champ, and I thought I need to get a club who are going to get there quickly. Long story short, I turned down the Oxford deal. I just thought I can't do that to to Swindon fans. I'd never, you know, I I'd never I'd never um, be able to go back there ever again. Um, and the Luton situation was taking longer and longer. It had got to like the first week of August. They're still texting me saying, we want to do the deal for you. Can you hang on? And I just, in the end, was like, this doesn't feel right. Like, I've got a club here that I love. They really want me there. Who cares if it's League Two? I need to get playing. I'll back myself to get myself into a better place, into a better club. And if I can do, I'd rather have, sounds a bit sort of fanciful and probably sort of, egotistical but if I can have a legacy like although it's not really a legacy but if I can have a a career with 300 games with one club that I really have a great connection with and love the people there and you know potentially help them to get back to where they should be then that's something that I'm all in for that was a project that I think I needed and and at the time you said obviously I had a tough spell at Peterborough and it was the kick that I needed to get to get back in love with football and and I sort of not didn't say goodbye to the dreams of the champ. I just was like, put, put that to one side. It will come. Just get back to playing football and get back to playing well. Um, and that's what I sort of decided to do. Well, that is a lovely story. You, you were quite right. I did enjoy that ending. <laughs> and and so the, so the, that brings you to Swindon Town. And Phil Brown's your manager now. So Lee Powers, the guy who sent you the text message, what was your relationship like with Phil Brown? Really good. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think Brownie didn't really like because it's awkward. I think for managers when a chairman says this, this, this boy's really good. You know, we've got a chance of getting him, um, and that sort of connection came through Lee, who would always sort of like at the time when I was at the club before being in and around the changing room, and um, you know, I think it gets a lot of bad press. I don't really know why, um, but genuinely cares about the club and and is a really sort of, in my time, just been a really supportive figure and somebody who wants the club and and, 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 and certainly myself to do well. Um, so I think it was hard for Brownie because Brownie's like, I'm, I, you know, it's not really, he wasn't really my player. But I think after a few weeks of me training, he sort of, I think he, he got his head around it, hopefully, um, and realised that I could make a really positive contribution. Um, and and I developed a really good relationship with him, Um I, th- I think it was tough because the expectation was was big on us, um, and it just didn't really click. It never really got firing. But I think that was a legacy from potentially the year before. Wrong players trying to fit square uh, pegs in round holes, so to speak. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a fair assessment. And um, uh, for you, though, you know, it, it's a great individual season with the frustrations of injuries aside, because obviously you score goals, you become something of a penalty expert giving me heart attacks every time you step up and uh, dink it. Um, Your third debut for Swindon is probably until, you know, we take the next step up and we have another crazy game is what many fans will remember you for, for obviously stepping up in injury time and scoring two penalties. On a scale of one to 10, how much were you bricking the second one? 
<laughs> I, I really wasn't. Yeah, so I think it was, um, yeah, I think I practiced so much in training for a while. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, I just felt, you know, can I score from 12 yards in training? Probably, yeah, nine to nine times out of 100 or, you know, or at least nine times out of 10. I think the first one, obviously, where I went that side and he got a hand to it, maybe subconsciously put a bit of doubt in me. But um, it just felt like that day was was special and and, and something good was going to happen because of the decision that I made. I felt I really believe that in life. You know, when you sounds a bit maybe wishy-washy, but when you sort of make decisions from the heart and just trust yourself. And, you know, I was there for a reason at Swindon and I felt so good about that decision and that experience. For the first time in my career, I felt really at home somewhere. And I think that was the redemption personally that I needed and that love with football again to get a hat-trick on debut, well, on sort of second or third debut <laughs> um, in the circumstances. So that was a really special day. With Raboners, do you ever have like an anxiety dream that one day the goalkeeper will just stay still and just catch it? Not really, because I think, you know, I can go, I, I mean, I, I missed one this year in the FA Cup replay against Cheltenham and then for some reason Doyle has nicked them off me um, <laughs> but that, that had happened before that to be fair but um, you know you, you're going to miss that's life like I think I've taken 20 career, uh, 18 or 17 or 20 something penalties in my career I've missed once you know if you take me that if you if you would say I miss one in 20 I'd take those odds I think it's another way to score I see the Rabona as like another way to score what is the keeper least expecting at that time and sometimes in the most pressurized situations they're expecting you to go for a tried and trusted method mm. but again if i was to ask myself or any other player can you dink it into a goal 12 yards away yeah we well, should be able you know we've been doing this for a long, a long enough time so it's just it's pressure right and, and pressure is relative you know it's what do you deem as pressure in that situation and how do you deal with it and if you back your skills then 19 times out of 20 or whatever the statistics are you, you know if you have that mentality you should be able to sort of execute whatever you're looking to execute yeah well that season for you is a player of the season earning season so it's a really good one for you but within the stands there was always this accusation from some fans saying that you were lazy which I never really understood but now you mentioned that you were playing with a foot injury for a long time would that suggest it or is it just the sort of your demeanor uh, more than anything have you, have you ever heard that accusation because you know it, it might be just me in my echo chamber but I've certainly read and heard it before I think I think um for me sometimes it's stylistic right sometimes I play you know, with like, uh, you know, with a little, you know, I, you know, I play with the ball at my feet and whatever, but a hundred percent that season, I, I honestly, and I, I say this truthfully, certainly the last three, four months, well, a lot of this season has been my best year, like performance wise, a lot of this season as in, you know, um, obviously the one that's been interrupted. I, I believe I, I've been putting in better performances this year um than I did last year um yeah I was having great, great moments and, and scoring but I was playing you know a different position I was playing almost a lot of the time a second striker which was you know a different position to this year you know a different position to when I play in a number eight position and sort of the demands physically are different and sometimes you get into a creative space where you're like looking for the ball in an attacking space and you know 
you're not as focused on the defensive side. But I I played central holding midfield probably 150 games out of my 250 or whatever. So I can I definitely can do both. I think that season, you know, I remember when I played for Phil Brown, I had got I came off in a game in the first five minutes. I don't know if you remember it, where my I got this cut on my boot and my boot split open and my my uh, top of my foot was lacerated and I had to have stitches and the stitches got infected uh, and my foot went purple uh, pretty much. I've got some of these horrendous pictures on my phone and I didn't know it was infected. I thought it was swelling. So the typical like in football, like when you've got a bruise or a dead leg or swelling, you think, you know, I can manage this. I can get through it. So I was like training on and off and then played in the next couple of games and I was really poor because I could barely walk and I, we played Notts County away and I played number 10 and the gaffer said to me listen can you can you play and I said oh yeah I'll give you know I've never been one honestly you know never to you know not want to play because of an injury like I've always pushed myself even when I'm not fit or this to play because I want to play for Swindon and I want to play football and I think sometimes I've done that and it's been to my detriment and I played against Notts County and I came, on after, came off after 55, 60 minutes, like barely had an impact on the game. I took my boot off. It was completely purple. I went to hospital the following week and was in um, uh, hospital for a week on an uh, intravenous antibiotic because the, I had a blood clot, blood clot in my foot and the, and the doctor essentially squeezed it out and, mm-hmm. I, and I was close to getting sepsis. And this is, I'm not like, this is just like a mental story that probably you guys don't hear about. Um, and, you know, then, I, you know, I, I was in hospital for a week. Um, within a month, I'm back playing. And it was just that stop-start kind of thing. And, I, you know, my body, maybe it's just me, but I can't, I, I want to do that and I'll give it everything. But I just need a run of games. I need consistency in my training I need physically to feel good, you know, to, to be pressing and doing all the things. Yeah, of course, offensively I can contribute, but to be the best Michael Doughty, I need to have that that training in me and I need to have that sort of consistency, whenever, con- continuity, yeah. Whenever I see foot as the reason for an injury on the team news, on the BBC website or anything like that now, I'm going to shudder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does sound dramatic, but it's a true story. Ask like... Uh, like Dion was probably, I think, involved. I don't know if he was injured at the time, but you know, my foot. I remember after the Notts County game, looking like Bigfoot. You know, <laughs> it was it was horrible. But this is the nature of the sport. But I think sometimes fans don't understand what we go through to just play, and they think, yeah, oh yeah, he's not doing this or blah blah blah. And sometimes you just feel terrible, or you're playing with pain through pain, or and you know, it's it is coming from a good place. It's because we want to do our jobs properly. Absolutely. Sure. Well, that brings us to this season. Richie Wellens is already in charge, but it, it, it's been so good as a fan, whether the season finishes or not. We're, we're At the time of recording, we don't have a clue. You guys are scheduled to go back in mid-May. We'll see if that happens. Leagues all over the shop are now saying that they're not going to finish. We're just seeing if the Premier League and the EFL, EFL are any different to that. But what we have encountered is the best season that we've had in years the feel-good factor is beginning to come back and we just need this promotion to be the the icing on the cake really you've observed various different sort of versions of Swindon Town what has made this season so successful in your opinion 
so far? What has made the season? I think, I think it's recruitment. I think the manager's done unbelievably well to get the type of players into the changing room that we have. I think we've got some properly, properly talented players throughout the squad. Um, never had a stronger squad in my Swindon time, irrespective of the league that we've been in. Um, I think, I think the manager is, is seriously talented as well as a manager. Um, I've worked with some pretty good managers, you know, um, you know, obviously I speak highly of Luke and I, and I think of, of him in the same bracket. Um, I think at the beginning it took, it took me a, a little bit of time to sort of under, understand him. And I think, I, I think genuinely I've gone on, on a great personal development, not necessarily because of him, but just probably because of the, the whole, my whole life experience. I think I'm at an age now where I'm a bit more reflective and, and just better. I think when he potentially first came in, I was still like, you know, sometimes you can be a bit defensive and you're trying to like, you know, always sort of convince yourself that you're right. And my, my sort of, I think life experience, I've always been sort of fighting, fighting against like sort of the stereotype. So if football, it was like the posh boy at school, it was like the footballer. And I've always been sort of back. And my dad always used to say to me, I remember it very clearly to, to, to you know, you know, give him an inch, I'll take a mile. And I think I've carried that with me. And it's, and, and in some instances it's been good, but, you know, I realised I think quite like recently, like just 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 chill out a bit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> be a bit more open and and understand that people when they say things to you, you know, you know, are trying to improve you and help you. And I think I think with the manager, like I've I think with all of my managers, but certainly with this one, I've really come to a place in my life where I'm the most receptive to information, you know, easier, hopefully easier to work with, and 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 genuinely just want to do well. Um, um, and I think the manager's really brought that out of me. And I think, you know, he's got a lot of talent as a as a tactician. I've, you know, I I think he's probably up there, you know, alongside Luke, the most detailed, the most focused when it comes to like match preparation. Um, little bits of information like where to receive the ball as a midfielder. You know, stuff that really actually you take into a game and actually is that one percent of difference that I think about, and that really helps me. Um, and and and. So the recruitment, I think his skill set, and I think just you know the general culture that's now building with all the staff. You know we've got great, you know we work. You know at the moment I'm desperate to get back there, and you know we've got great spirit and culture, and 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 obviously some talented people on the management team and in the uh, and in the dressing room. Long may it continue. Well, as we close before the the dreaded Q and A that you're going to go through in just a few moments. Here we are in the middle of a lockdown, and I suppose it would be quite relaxing for most footballers at this time, but you have non-football ventures, don't you? That keeps you plenty busy. Yeah, so obviously I'm quite um, uh, kind of interested outside of football. And, uh, you know, I think I, I'm, not, I'm not, I wouldn't say like an atypical footballer where it's maybe like Call of Duty and stuff like that. I do like have other things that keep me um, interested and I think make me a better player because allow me to have that sort of focus and creativity outside of it. So I think at, at, at this time, um, go check out the Instagram page. Sorry for the selfless plug, but I've just launched a, a sports brand um, called Hilo Athletics um, where we're um, going to be bringing out a, a running shoe in, in sort of August, September time, which is made from natural materials and is the world's most sustainable running shoe. So that's a big part of like, who I am is sort of working on, I guess, businesses or or ventures that that have, I think, hopefully, a social impact and and an environmental impact. Sustainability 
is obviously something that you're passionate about. Is there much talk of this sort of stuff in the Swindon Town changing room? Um, I think some, sometimes self-enforced uh, uh, um, by a few of us, but certainly like the likes of Danny Rose and uh, Danny's um, uh, vegan and a few of the lads like dabble with that diet now. Now, I think now in today's age, there's a lot more awareness over some of these issues. Um, and it's definitely a performance point. I, I, I've never felt better since I've sort of cut out meat. Um, and, you know, obviously our bodies are in, incredibly important to the sort of the performance angle of what we do. So I think a lot of the lads are becoming aware of it, potentially more from a performance angle. But then once you dip your toe in, you realise, you know, there's, you know, there's environmental benefits to this. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's like, a, you know, a, a talk of the change room all the time. But certainly, like the lads are aware of it, and I think sport plays a really important role to set the agenda for for some of these issues. You know, we are, we all have a platform, hopefully, to sort of inspire people on the pitch, and 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 therefore, you know, some of of what we do off the pitch. And I think with Hilo, it's it's the opportunity to to kind of create a new sports brand that stands for not just sort of the selfish pursuit of individual goals, so to speak, like winning at all costs. It's you know, let's win, let's win League Two. But let's also have a, you know, let's also talk about some important issues and 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 sort of inspire some some action around them. And and do you think that this is your future after football, this sort of venture? Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, the idea is to try and build um, sustainable Nike. Um, so you know, I want to sponsor Swindon one day with this with this business. Um, you know, you got to dream big. I believe that. You know, I dreamt big when I came to Swindon. So. You know, who knows where it goes, but um, sport has given me so much. It's the place that I go to sort of to get inspired and it's my church or whatever you want to call it. So like if I can be involved in sport in some capacity and then be involved in, in sort of climate, because nature, nature is sort of my second hobby, being out in nature with, you know, with my wife and my dog and whatever. If I can sort of marry the two of them, then, then I think I'll be really happy once football's over. Here's Foley. Far side is Bolin. Bolin's cross. Up in the air. Belgate. Punches away. Comes to McLaren who hits it through a crowd of players and he's found a net. That could well be the winning goal with just three and a half minutes remaining of extra time. Ross McLaren, his third goal of the season, second in the Littlewoods Cup through a crowd of Bolton players and into the back of the net. Lovely stuff. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed asking my questions. It's now time to take the listeners' questions. Um, I feel like we built a good rapport and it might now perish with some of these questions, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. Um, shall we get the hair, scooter and food questions out of the way first? Yes, let's do that. I, they're really important ones. <laughs> they're, the, they're the most important ones, but we'll do them quick fire. So just, if you don't mind, answer the answer the first thing that comes to your head. So we'll start with Helen Dolman. Have you been tempted to have a home haircut? Um, yes, without doubt. Um, will I? No. <laughs> well, that brings to the next question from Quincy. Will you ever get a haircut? Not until we get promoted. But I'm not saying I'll get get promoted but I might consider one. But at the moment, you know, I don't think it's good to change the, uh, the status quo. Absolutely. John says, I've been trying to grow a lockdown tash without much luck. Do you have any tips? Uh, apart from genetics, <laughs> not really. Coconut oil, I heard that helps hair grow. Jack Tanner says, if you had to shave your hair off or beard off for charity, which one would it be? Hair. 
Martin Crook says, what conditioner do you use on your hair? Stunning. No, the brand isn't called Stunning. Um, it's, um, God, what is it called? Oh, it's my missus's one. Um, I think it's like a, a, a form of L'Oreal. And it's actually for people who've dyed their hair. So uh, God knows what we're using. I just, I, I, a lot of what happens in my life, I just, the nearest possible thing to me, I just chuck on. <laughs> Sam Smith says, would you rather give up your scooter or shave your head? Um, horrible. I think both I would potentially think about life existentially. So I'm, I'm, I can't answer that one. Darren Dunn says, who has the best roads to ride your scooter, Swindon or London? Well, Swindon, of course, because everything in Swindon is, 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 is better. Um, but <laughs> in, terms of, uh, in terms of actually the relevance of the scooter, it's much more relevant in London because obviously the traffic's terrible. Darren Galbraith asks, what's your favourite cheese? Uh, I'm, I don't eat cheese. I'm lactose intolerant. So I don't mind this VO life, which is like a, a vegan cheese, but I'm not sure for a cheese connoisseur if it's going to quite be good as a bit of Stilton. And Kieran Boast asks, what's these protein health bars you keep buying? Oh, great plug as well. Um, Misfits Health um, its a business that I'm sort of um, involved with. My actual, my, my co-founder in the, in, the, in the sustainable shoe venture, that's his, his business. Um, so I'm sort of been helping him with that. It's all about vegan protein bars and plant-based wellness. So check it out, Misfits Health. Um, they actually just launched a new dark chocolate raspberry. And I'm sorry for shamelessly pl- plugging again, but why not? Kieran asked the question. Uh, TJ Meerkat says, how are you coping with the lockdown and what are you doing to keep yourself entertained? I'm coping okay at the moment. Thank you for asking. I think it's not easy on everyone um, in seriousness. Like, it's ups and downs. Um, it's okay to not be okay sometimes as well. I think that's an important um, point to make that, you know, it does, you don't have to have it together or be busy all the time. But um, I think luckily I've got quite a few projects um, to be working on. I love keeping fit anyway, just as irrespective of my job. So, you know, I'm getting active where I can. Um, so in the main, I'm, I'm doing all right. I appreciate the question. More football related now. Dima Mackin says, do you have any plans to go into management or coaching? Um, I would I, I would love to be a manager. Um, I would. I don't know if I'm honest. Probably not. I think sometimes seeing how stressed like the managers that I've worked with can get, it, it probably doesn't add years to your life expectancy. So it is quite regimented being a professional footballer as well. And I think not having a break from that... Um, would be quite intense for sort of 50 years. Um, so, because obviously professional managers work just as hard, if not harder, and um, have to be at the club at all hours of the day. So, I don't know, maybe if Swindon, maybe interim manager in 10 years' time when I'm finishing my career at Swindon. <laughs> yeah, knowing what you know about the game and your dad's experiences at Nottingham Forest, which, of course, as you know, wasn't always rosy, would you ever get involved with the business side other than sponsoring Swindon, of course? Um, yeah, I think it would interest me, um, potentially, potentially to be like sort of director football role, maybe in a management role. I do, I do enjoy, you know, problem solving. Um, I do enjoy creating, um, and sort of thinking about things in, in, you know, a non-linear way. So yeah, maybe I think, you know, one day, Mm -hmm. you know, Swindon or somewhere like that. Alex asks, how do you feel that your game has changed as you've got older or wiser? 
Um, I think for the better, I think definitely this year I feel more rounded, probably um, a combination of working with the manager and, and playing a bit of a different position this year. But um, I do think, although like, you gave me a bit of stick for it before, I do think that um, I'm a bit more well all-rounded, I would say, um, not just a sort of a scorer or creator, hopefully a, a good distributor and this year, you know, doing my fair share of, uh, of defensive work. Anna asks, in your opinion, what has been your best Swindon game so far? Oh, best Swindon game. Oh. This season or just in general? Just in, in general. Uh, Swindon, preferably. Yeah. I, I mean, moment-wise, probably the, the Macclesfield game, just for pure elation. Performance-wise, um, I had... A few good, I played. We played Colchester away in my first season. I scored a couple and played well, so I would say that one. How's this for a name? Shazza loves Gary Barlow forever. Asks, what's the best thing about playing for Swindon? That name, probably. Um, <laughs> uh, best thing about playing for Swindon, just being at a club where I think you, you've, the mutual respect or love that you that you have for the people is is there. I think you know, like all the all the support staff, everyone that works at the club the fans and obviously the players and the staff and stuff just having that sort of love and the care for the people that you work with because at the end of the day the destination is one thing but it really is the journey so like every day getting up and you know going to work and feeling feeling good about the people that you work with is, is a is a real privilege mark and sean had similar questions in and essentially what has been your favorite stint at swindon so far and why um, I think this one, you know, I think if you know we've got the chance of winning something, but not only do we have the chance of obviously winning something, I really think we've got the platform with this group of players and this manager and this sort of, um, uh, I guess, infrastructure to to go to get promoted again and you know and to really re-establish ourselves in in the leagues that we should be playing in. So this one, Steve Jones says, was there was there a point during the season where you thought, well, we've got a good chance of going up here? No. And I think that's, for the first time, probably a sign of why we are in the position we're in. Because when you are doing, when you when you expect to do well, because you know you have, you're prepared and you have good players, is, is a, that's when you're in a good place. And I think when you think you're lucky or you're like, oh, we've got a chance or, or what a good result we had, you're sort of surprised. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a sense of expectation within us in the group at the moment, which is like, yeah, we should be winning. Max Springer asks, did you give up your number three shirt for Zeki Fryers or prefer wearing a number 10? And Jack Sansom asks, any rationale behind the squad number changes? Uh, well, number three, I think, was sort of quite well documented mm-hmm. that my, that my <laughs> wife wife chose it. Um, and as she is a bit of a mystic, mystic uh, goddess, she... Uh, she um, she obviously predicted well with the hat trick on the first day, wearing number three against Macclesfield. And then I just felt like I wanted to transition to a more natural number because I had the season in the three, and obviously it was successful personally, but wasn't successful from a team point of view. Um, and number ten seemed right. Um, I felt like that was a good number for me. So not really, but yeah. <laughs> Josh Strange asks, "What makes you so attracted to Swindon?" It's the magic roundabout, probably. Um, <laughs> no, it's d- certainly not the magic roundabout. It's an unbelievable train line for anybody being on that. Big up, big, big up the GWR. Um, it's a 
brilliant train, very clean and and and, and efficient. Um, and I just think I I don't know. It's just when you when you have good memories and they continue to be reinforced, and when you play well and you enjoy it, you know, life's about enjoying it. Like I said, like I've had so many years where I've just been wanting to be in a in in the championship or in this place, and probably creating a roadblock for myself because I was frustrated and not living in the present. And I think I'm the most present version of myself at Swindon. I just really enjoy being with my teammates, training, playing in the games. And, and yeah, I just think I really enjoy all, all aspects of it. Almost there. Christopher asks, Bobby Zamora or Owen Doyle? Bobby Zamora. Love you, Owen, but I've got a lot of history with uh, Bobby. Nathan Philpot says, who is the most talented midfielder you have played with during your different spells with Swindon? most talented midfielder um we've got some good ones in this group but i would have to say probably yasser kasim um we just had a really great relationship um and at, and on his day yasser was you know yasser was premier league quality he was unbelievable i just i don't know really what happened there because he was so good mark delaney says do you feel tested as a player in league two and do you aspire to play at a higher level which we sort of covered already and what league do you think we should be in ideally? Um, well, Premier League. That's the answer to the second part. Why not? Dream big. You never know. Um, I don't believe in putting ceilings on things. So I, I get that's a completely far-fetched shout when you're in this situation. But Bournemouth and Leicester have done it. And there's certainly enough of a fan base and enough of a you know, you know, know, potential in the city and the, and the town to do that. You know whether it takes ten years and I ever see it is one thing, but I do believe there's a there's a world in which Swindon exists in the Premier League again. Um, and then, uh, what was the first bit of the question again? The first bit of the question was: Do you feel tested as a player in League Two? Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I, I have a a good amount of confidence to know that if we were to get promoted, you know, I could still be, you know, a, a, a good midfielder for the league above and 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 potentially even above that. I you know I think as you grow and you, you're tested in new circumstances, you know, you, you know, I believe I can handle that. Um, but I do feel tested for sure. I don't think any football matches are given by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's a physically testing um, league to play in um, and we come up against good players. Kieran Hart with his standard question. You have to pick three former teammates round for dinner. Who would you pick and why? Also, you have to pick a former teammate to do the entertainment and a different one to do the cooking. Who would you go for? So I've got three and one of them's doing the entertaining and the cooking, you've or got, I've got five? You've got three guests, you've got five. So three guests plus a chef and an entertainer. Okay, so entertainer would be Jamie Mackey. I think everybody's seen him mm. on the on Twitter at the moment doing his TikTok. That is Jamie all over. He's a man of a box of frogs. I think... He'd, he'd give us some good entertainment. As a chef, um, I would choose, um, or oh, as a chef, I would have, uh, to be fair, Nathan Thompson, potentially. I used to go around to his for quite quite a lot when I was playing for Swindon. Um, and it's him and his wife, uh, his wife, Charlie, they, they always used to look after me really well. So, that probably Nate as a cook. Um, I don't think that's because of his skills, just because I have a, a, a nice fuzzy memory of, of him um, in, in my mind. And then three dinner guests. Um, I think one of them, Adele Tarat, just because he was mad, mad and I think would be good, if not, kind of a bit like Gogglebox watching, 
I think Joey Barton um, just needs no introduction, and and then probably Carl Henry, just because he's a he's a good mate of mine still today, and Carl and Joey don't like each other, so it would make for an interesting evening, especially if alcohol's involved. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Stephen Lay asks, are you for or against music after goals? Oh, I don't even, I don't, I, honestly, I don't even like hear the music. Are you just going so mad? <laughs> well, both if you, uh, I'm for it, I think. Yeah, I mean, music's a great addition to any setting. Oh, I don't think Stephen agrees with you. And the final question is from Ben Wills, who asks what your favourite Foles track is. Oh, how does he know I'm a Foles fan? I think Instagram. Uh, oh, nice. Um, I think it's a there's a track called Late Night on their um, on one of their earlier albums, which is just unbelievable. I love the Falls. There we go. We made it. It was a heck of a journey. But how do you feel? Yeah, I feel a sense of a catharsis. I think I got a lot off my chest. Um, you've killed about two hours of my isolation as well. So yeah, it was it wasn't um, nearly as well. I hope it wasn't nearly as boring as I thought it would be. Um, it certainly wasn't boring for me, but I hope that, you know whoever's listening, it got something out of it. It never is. Michael Doughty, thank you very much. Cheers. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford. And the artwork is provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Come on, boys. It's a grand The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.